Welcome to the Heartbreak Kids Podcast, where we explore what connects us all in our yoga practice and in our lives. This is where I talk to people about their stories, who they are, what they've been through, and where they're going. And in this podcast, that's what we explore. I believe deep down inside, we're all connected, which explains why we bring ourselves to the top of our mat every day. Welcome to the Heartbreak Kids. So welcome to the next edition of the Heartbreak Kids. I'm here with Yelena Vesic, and she's a, an Ashtanga yoga teacher in Toronto. And she teaches at Ashtanga Yoga Center of Toronto. And uh, it's really cool. She, her husband is David Robson. And I'm interested to have her on because, well, first off, she's never done a podcast, which I just learned. And mm-hmm. I'm really inspired by, you know, like really how you empower women uh, because all of the women at my studio like look up to you. And I don't even think they've met you before. And so I'm, I'm like really grateful and honored that you're on the show and I'm looking forward to hearing your story. So welcome, welcome to the heartbreak kids. Hey, thank you. This is like a really nice intro. I'm like, uh, you can't see it, but I'm blushing. So uh, <laughs> I am really honored uh, it's true. to be on it. Yeah, thank you. It's really nice to hear it. You know, we always need to hear it. But uh, I'm really honored to be and grateful that you asked me. And uh, yeah, it's my very first podcast ever. I've never been interviewed before. So I'm excited. And well, we're, bra- we're breaking the ice. So you yeah. get to share a little bit of your heart and soul on here. So um, I, I want to get into it because I feel like we got a lot to talk about. So tell me where you're from. Um, you know, like, your name is a, a, is like a little odd, so I'm thinking like it's Eastern yeah. European, um, Correct. but you're yeah. in Canada. And so Correct. tell me a little bit about like your backstory. Uh, you pronounced it really well. Like I'm, I'm impressed, both first and I, last I name. I had a great yeah. coach. Had a great Did you? Coach. Yeah, good, good. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so um, I was born in uh, Sarajevo, which is now Bosnia, the capital of Bosnia, but it used to be Yugoslavia. And it's now known as former Yugoslavia. And I lived there. And then when the war started in the 90s, my family and I literally overnight had to leave to run for our lives. And um, I remember the war starting and, you know, no one believed it. Like literally no one believed it. And my sister and I, I was like around... um, nine years old I was in grade two and her were standing on the balcony and we were like chanting with like everyone else that was marching like we don't want war we don't want war and it was kind of like it's such a weird thing to think about it and then of course the war started and for the first uh, two months no one wanted to leave and my parents were really against it But then we realized, you know, as the bombs and grenades started flying over our head that we had to. And so my mom, my sister and I fled to Serbia, which at that point was sort of like another province of of Yugoslavia. And we went there because that's where my mom's sister lives to this day. And um, my dad, of course, couldn't leave because no men were allowed to leave. So it was only women with kids and elderly. And we flew on the very last um, cargo plane that was flying 
with 500 people sitting on the ground in pitch black. And that night, the hell broke loose in um, Sarajevo. And so wow. we lived in, in um, yeah, like I get really emotional. Um, we lived in Serbia for the next uh, five, six years. My dad eventually, to make the story short, literally like uh, drove for UN because uh, he escaped the army. They were chasing him. He escaped it again because, of course, my whole family, everyone was against this. It was neighbors turning against neighbors, and it was all for a political gain of the politicians. And eventually my dad managed to overnight escape and make his way to Croatia, which would have been, um, you know, at that time, one of the other provinces, let's put it that way, or states sure. of Yugoslavia. And because we also had family there. And so my dad uh, kind of was working there and hiding, working on, um, on a fishing boat. Uh, and because this is the northern part of Croatia, which is really close to Italy, this is one part that didn't really get affected by war too much. And so we lived in Serbia, he lived in Croatia, you know, at this point, at least we knew he was alive because for long periods of time, we had no idea if my dad was dead or alive or what was happening because it'd be months before we hear from him. And then my parents finally applied to come to Canada in 96. And wow. uh, they applied, they got rejected, they applied again. And so we came as refugees to Canada. And all the while we lived in Serbia too as um, refugees. We were never given a status, uh, which wow. is so crazy. Uh, you know, it crazy. like it was one country. And then all So I got to talk, I got to ask you a little bit. So first off, it was a civil war, right? Yeah, civil war. Yeah, yeah civil war. Civil okay. war. And, and what was, I, I mean, what was it like to experience that level of trauma? You know, as um, with your with your dad, like not sure, sure if he was alive or dead. Like, I mean, what were the feelings that you were having at that time? Yeah. I mean, can you still re remember them? Yeah, I do. And, and I remember a lot of stuff and a lot of things like, um, it's interesting, you know, the body keeps score kind of a thing. A lot of totally. these things have uh, come up now that I'm an adult. And I recognize like you, you could hear my voice change as I speak and, uh, and I have to hold the tears and it gets shaky because as an adult, now I start to understand like what the hell my parents have gone through. Like they were younger than, my, than what I am now today. And um, as a kid, it was like, I have these crazy memories of my sister having like, um, um, I don't know what's it called in English, when an airplane flies above and then they break the sound of the, like they go faster than the speed of sound or something and they yeah. break. I, I know it in my language. I don't know in English. Do you know what I'm talking it, about? Yeah, I know. What you're, like when they hit like Mach 1 or something like that. And they yeah. break the sound barrier, the big boom that goes off. The, exactly. And I remember we were all kids. The war has started, but we were all still kind of playing outside in front of our building. And, you know, all the parents are, as usual, on the balconies chatting with each other. And this, this airplane flies above and all of us, like, this is one of my worst memories. And all of us like just start running and fleeting into like our buildings. And my sister goes completely paralyzed. 
she just mm-hmm. has a total like um she block and i'm standing there and like screaming and calling out for her and trying to get her but it's like experiences like these and then seeing the bullets hearing the bullets seeing the grenades but the thing is as like a child that goes through this and then you and then living in in serbia like i remember you know my mom did as much as she could to make it as normal as possible and we went to school and there were so many kids at that point coming to Serbia from all over, like Bosnia and Croatia, because, you know, the pardon my language, but the shit is happening everywhere. And so there is yeah. a lot of influx of kids like me and everyone's just trying to be as normal as possible. But, you, you know, you wake up in the morning and there's like you could eat this or maybe there's nothing else to eat either. Like some mornings it's like just a piece of bread and a jam and that's all you have. Like you don't get to choose what you want for breakfast. You know, you don't get the allowance. You 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 get uh, to wear other clothes that's been passed down to you. Um, but all of these things like make you a really strong kid. And so as a kid, oh you push everything because that's the only way you can deal with it. And the only thing you can offer your parents at times like this is to be like a perfect little, like for me and my sister, to be perfect little girls. And so we were amazing at school. We were really social, always helpful. Um, At this point is when I also started ballet. But as a kid, you remember and you see it, but you do your best to just be perfect so that at least, you know, all of the other chaos is countered by you being good and and helping out that way wow. because there's nothing else you can do, you know. But you see how this prepares totally. you for like a totally messed up <laughs> things I later mean, on. I, like I'm just I like I'm just sitting here going like, damn. I mean, I've experienced a lot in my life, like really right, yeah. difficult things. Yeah, but I've never experienced anything like that. And and uh, honestly, also not many people come out onto the show, and I'm like, damn, like that's a that's a serious thing to have bullets like flying over your head, you know, like jets flying over you, having to escape from a country. I mean, that's yeah. it's huge. I mean, I could see where that would affect the person that you are today as a result of experiencing that as a you know as a. As a kid, yeah. But you know what's other really interesting thing? Like the psychology of it all is that at at the end of it, like, and it took me a long time, like, uh, with my therapist talking about it, you also downgrade um, what's happened to you because all my family's alive. Like, I didn't, no one died, no one was hit by a bullet. My mom and my sister and I, like, got out and weren't stuck there for all four years of this chaos, you know? And so you also downgrade it, and you don't want to admit to it, and you say, well, I shouldn't be this needy or this upset or this sad because other people have had it so much worse. And uh, it's interesting how that's not a solution to, you know, you know this, like, you, you really have to own your pain and see it and let it come up and not compare it to anyone else's pain um, for right. it to move past you. Um, wow. And I'm sure like in your life, you've gone through this too um, in the process of recovery and, you know, mm-hmm. where it's easy yeah. to say, well, at least I'm alive. Someone else yeah. didn't make it. But it's like, I know. Well, it's like I've had so many friends pass away from. Yeah. Uh, 
from from addiction. It you know breaks my heart every time, and it and it's it happens too frequent. You know, I actually remember a year, like maybe my fifth year of sobriety, that over the summer there was like a bad batch of heroin that that came in, and and I think there was maybe ten funerals. Oh my god! Um, people. Yeah, I mean it was it was terrible. So I can I can totally relate to that. Oh my god, that's too. like a, yeah, yeah. It's a, yeah. it's it's so insane. Yeah, totally. Well, let's um let's talk a little bit about how you got into ballet and like how that transitions into yoga. Because um, I didn't really know about your ballet, but I heard you mention it. Did did you do this kind of like professionally? Or yeah, I did. It... Mm-hmm. Okay. It went, uh, my, my mom says, um, ever since basically I could express my desire to do anything, it was always about, uh, I wanted to do ballet and I have this, like a really clear, like a vision. I would have been like maybe grade one or maybe even like just before grade one. And I saw a ballet performance on TV and my mom was cooking and um, the dancer like lifted her leg and I was born. One thing that I was gifted was like a super flexible hips. Like I was born being able to basically do a split like, and uh, I just walked awesome. into the kitchen and I lifted my leg and I said, I want to do this. And my mom just stood there in the kitchen looking at me like, okay. Like, what is going on here? Yeah. And yeah. it wasn't like, like you who, really wasn't. this little girl like who has yeah. all this flexibility what's what's happening and it wasn't really like at all imposed by my parents and so they were really supportive and so um uh back home uh you don't start training uh in a profession in like uh in a ballet school like the state run school until you're in grade five and so then i had to wait and it actually happened in serbia when we were in bosnia uh that's when i started grade five because when i fled um, from sarajevo i was at the end of my grade two and so i started grade three in serbia the following year and so in grade five i started uh, i got accepted into the national ballet school of serbia um and it's this like really funny testing that they did back then I don't know how it is now but I remember my mom took me there and they're like okay take everything off and just stay in your underwear and then they like put your body in all of these like weird different shapes they move you around Um, then a piano teacher comes in and she plays the music and you have to be able to repeat the rhythm so they're testing your ability I guess to 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 uh, remember and also follow the rhythm and then they mm. walked out after 15 minutes and they looked at my mom and, and they're like, she has extremely flat feet. So either it will be so painful for her that she'll have to quit or her arch will lift and she'll continue on. And um, my arches lifted so high that I sometimes have a hard time putting shoes on. <laughs> and uh, I, got, I was there, I was accepted. I was uh, on an honor roll. Um, and I was there and then I came to, yeah, I really, it was like, um, it was something, you know, I loved it so much. And so since grade five, the dedication that it requires was really high, you know, every day there's, um, about four hours of classes and because it's a state school, so it's part of my curriculum too. 
And so I had piano classes and traditional dance classes, ballet classes and all of this. And then I continued with that when I came to Canada. Um, and I did that. And then I started also teaching ballet when I was about 16. Um, and I and I danced to like somewhere my mid-20s when I no longer kind of felt any passion for it. You know, it just... It just wasn't it. And and yeah. as a ballet dancer, like one of the worst things that can happen to you, and it was really hard, it hit me really hard, is to move schools because everyone knows in that world, once you move the schools, it's basically really hard to go back to the, um, to the, everyone wants you basically young so that they can shape yeah. you and form you any way they like. Gotcha. But I, uh, yeah, I managed to do it for, for a really long time, all throughout my high school. I was talking to David yesterday because we were listening his podcast with you and it was like a total different <laughs> life for him and me in high school. Yeah. But I did how, that, how, yeah. How were you in high school? In high school, I was one of the, you know, preppy kids, opposite of David. Okay. Um, <laughs> I also was, uh, yeah, very shy because English was my, and it still is, second language. But, you know, I was very shy to speak because of my accent. Um, and, uh, you know, not I could understand everything and I could speak back perfectly fine. I just had an accent. But the kids in high school aren't always necessarily so nice about it. Yeah. Um, and and you I went to high school in, in Canada, though, right? Yeah, I came to grade, I was, they put me in grade eight when I came because this was the, like, my age group. But when they, you know, when you come to Canada from another country, they do all of these tests, like you have to go through exams and tests. And I passed, like, to be somewhere, like, way in high school. But then they decided that for me, for my sort of my head space, it would be better if I was at least with the people my own age. Gotcha. And so I did like um, a little bit of grade eight and then started with grade nine and 10, which is wow. for me, it was high school. And I danced all throughout it. Um, so, you know, the classes would end at 3.15 and my ballet class, which was an hour away, uh, was at 4.30. So I had like seven minutes to make it to the bus so that I could make it to the ballet class. And then that would be anywhere from from three hours to seven hours a day, depending on which day, how close to a performance. and Wow. Uh, I mean, that's really dedicated parents. <laughs> it's like, yeah. I, I mean, like, I mean, it's like, I mean, were they taking you every time or was it, uh, what, were you just going on the bus every time? Um, back home, they wouldn't have because at grade five, at that point, you start going places on your own kind of a thing. And it was oh, just okay. at night, okay. my mom would come and pick me up if it was, you know, like in winter times when it started getting dark outside. And then oh, in, gotcha. in Canada, yeah, for the first little while, my mom was going with me just because I think she was more afraid because it was like a whole different country that we were in and like... You know, she was more afraid than I was afraid of anything. So she was going with me for the first little while. And then after that, you know, they, she realized that that I don't need them, that I'm okay to go on my own. And so I did yeah. it all on my own. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's pretty dedicated on your your behalf, too. I mean, three, hour, um, three hours of practice and prep for, you know, recitals and performances. I mean, yeah, that's huge. 
Yeah, I get, you know, it's like uh, it's re- I, it's with any athletes. Like if if you really love it and you believe it, it's really amazing to see how early kids can develop this kind of dedication and discipline. Like our world is full of such examples. Like all the all the athletes start when they're five, six, seven. Right. You know. And so many, like so many of us don't make it to like the top, top, but there's such a huge number and it's, and it's interesting. And I wonder, like a lot of us, I think thrive in that kind of structure too. So for me, it was, um, it was never a chore. It was like, it came from really such pleasure and it's, it's hard. It's such a hard, hard thing to do so physically and mentally demanding, but it was uh, so much joy in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, and how did yoga, I mean, you know, like you mentioned that you were, you sort of eventually mm-hmm. fell out of love with it, you know, the ballet, like, is that when yoga turned up in your story? Is that, is that where you started doing yoga? Um, so an- another very little known fact, but I was bulimic and, um, I don't, I haven't shared much about that part of my life, not for any particular reason, but uh, I was bulimic and and uh, anorexic, but more so bulimic. And I think those two things kind of contribute to me falling out of love with uh, ballet, um, and not out of ballet. Like as I still I still see go performances anywhere we travel. It's my favorite thing to do. I, I just fell in love with it for myself. Like it just wasn't feeding me, obviously, <laughs> like in a proper way. But ballet came before, uh, sorry, yoga came a little bit before that. I was about 18. And one of my friends uh, said, you know, we should go and try this class. Um, and I heard it's really good for us to help us relax our bodies. And um, so we were 18, her and I went and uh, funny thing, it ended up being David's very first studio in Toronto. Like, so. <laughs> like, was he teaching know? Bikram? <laughs> no, this was, this was, no, no, it wasn't teasing. Bikram. Yeah. No, oh, yeah, oh my God. It's just fun. I, when he shared that part of his story, I just started cracking up. So I just felt yeah. like I needed to crack a joke there. But can't you see I, him as like a Bikram like, teacher? Yeah, like short shorts uh, and like a stopwatch. <laughs> and he has a whistle. <laughs> I know, I know. Um, it's actually one style of yoga. Uh, I have never tried Bikram. That's one thing I've never tried. Um, yeah, but no, I, was, I tried uh, it one time. Did you? I tried it yeah. one time, yeah. And that was enough. And I guess, yeah, it didn't go far, did it? <laughs> no, it didn't go far. So. Mm-hmm. And so you went uh, to his class. and, and it, uh, So obviously it was an Ashtanga class. And it was yeah, the very was, first studio. Was it a Mysore class or like an intro class or what? It was a lead class and it was, David wasn't teaching it. Um, it was uh, people that he owned the studio with. And so I went and it was, um, yeah, it was half primary. Now, now I know at the time I had no idea, but I just remember after, and it was like half primary and um, there were two people, assistants walking around and helping. And there was a main teacher calling everything out. And um, afterwards, I just remember like feeling so grateful and calm, you know, like I think all of us have this very first experience when we do any kind of yoga class. It doesn't really even matter what tradition. I just got lucky that it was an actual, you know, 
semi-representation of the tradition. It was one of those classes, you know, where um, you weren't, to this day, you can teach Ashtanga, but you can't be really traditional. <laughs> and uh, yeah. you can't do a chant at the beginning of the class and all of these things. Why? One, one of the many reasons why David got locked out of his own studio. But um, I just felt really um, calm and happy and grateful for my body which was interesting because it's um, in ballet, you use your body to perform ultimately. Like uh, it's used as a means to a performance. And so it was a very different um, experience in that way. I was using my yeah. body and doing all of these crazy shapes and a lot of them accessible to me because of my background. And yet the experience of it was um, very different. Um, and so after that, me and my friend would kind of like regularly go to different classes. We weren't very specific, but we just kept going because we liked that like after feeling. And of course, during the practice feeling, but that's how I started. So I was 18. And so that's like a... Wow. That's quite a few that's years unbelievable. Back. Yeah. <laughs> that's uh, that's uh, great, though, that you wound up at the studio. I mean, I... I did. I do the yoga still for that same feeling when I get done. Yeah, you know, right. Like, like, yeah, I mean, it's because you feel clearer. You feel this perspective shift. It, you know, like everything's sorted wherever it, it needs to be sorted. Whether or not it's a priority, or whether or not you need to just forget about it, move on. Um, all of that stuff is worked out on your mat. It's it's quite beautiful the experience of of you know practicing yoga and getting done with it and being like, oh yeah, this is. You know, thank God I just did that. It's like why yeah. people say like you never have like, you know, I've never regretted practicing before. <laughs> it's like Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. One of David's students put it so well. He once said he, um you know, like it was like one of those after my sore chats and uh, they were putting their shoes on and one of the other students was walking in and it's like one of those days like, Oh god, I have to practice and I haven't started this yet and um uh, and he said, uh, he's like, uh, but you'll feel better after, like after it's all done, you'll always feel better. And then he said, he's like, I never regret practicing. Like I never regret afterwards. And this guy looked at, and he said, he's like, yeah, me neither. But sometimes I regret starting it. Like, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> yeah, sometimes I don't want to start. Yeah, but because of that very first experience that we've had, like that, like real genuine connection to to our body, to our breath, to something so deep within us, it's that that keeps us coming back, like day after day after day. Like it really doesn't matter, like the shapes, but um, yeah, it's not not easy, but we keep keep chasing it. I think in the best possible way. Totally. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I was telling, I was telling a couple of students today, like they were talking about, you know, the first Akam inhale, Dway exhale, they can determine how good their practice is going to be based on how open their hamstrings are. And I like <laughs> chuckled and I said, <laughs> you know, I was like, you know how I tell if uh, it's, it's going to be a good practice or not. I was like, by how much I like fiddle around and like avoid getting on my mat. If I get if I'm like, let's do this thing, it's a great practice. If I drink my coffee really slow, look at social media, check my 
bank account, check Facebook. I mean, news channels. I, I know that I'm avoiding it. And it's going to be a terrible practice because it's going to hurt. <laughs> exactly. Like, uh, yeah. Yeah. Instead of my uh, instead that. of my hamstrings being open. Yeah, like, I know. Yeah, right. Know, it's whether or not I'm avoiding the practice. Exactly, because you just continue that whole procrast like you procrastinate then in your practice too. Like you just start like you're dragging yourself, and it's like, and you know you keep telling yourself like, hey, just rush it, like hurry up, hurry up, like get this over with. But it's like something's like so much stronger than you, and 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 it's like such a heavy practice at those times. Yeah, so I totally agree. Mm -hmm. Same. Yeah. So how do you, how do you go from 18 year old kid just learning yoga to all of a sudden teaching? Like oh how, God, where's yeah. that, where did that jump come from? It took, it took long time. Um, you know, I then Were you uh, called I was to in, do it. Like, did you feel called to do it? Like sort of yeah. being called to like ballet? Yeah. I quit my PhD for it. Um, wow. after four years of doing my PhD, I just, I just realized that I had to quit and this is what I had to kind of, um, dedicate my, my time for. And, and at this point I've had, so at the time I quit my PhD, I'm at five years of like a steady, um, uh, daily practice with David. So at this point I'm already at the studio, um, practicing and I think if it wasn't for for my practice I probably would have never finished my master's and then even gotten that far into my PhD I think it's all because somehow the practice kept helping me ground um, but I found myself more and more you know like I would have because I was also teaching at the university at that time here in Canada you you get to um, uh if you're lucky, you get in on the funding, which means uh, you work while you get your degree. So I was uh, TAing for uh, five years at the university. And I just, awesome. every office hours, I would like shut the door. <laughs> and then I would be like going down like yoga philosophy, reading about the history, reading about this, reading about that. It just kept like pulling me more and more. Um, and then, you know, applying my academic skills to, to, to studying. And so at some point I just realized that, um, I had to make a switch and quit. Yeah. What, what was your degree or what was your master's in and what was your PhD going to be in? Um, well, I'm, um, I'm a, uh, I'm a Marxist and, okay. uh, so I was studying sort of my, my, Masters was looking at the political ecology. So it was looking at how do we make um, decisions about how we treat our environment and preserve our environment uh, and in the context of how that influences decisions politically. So it was looking very much at social justice. And so um, I was looking at the management of the white-tailed deers here in Canada and the involvement of the Canada's First Nations in um, hunting of the deer um, as gotcha. a way to manage. Yeah, so it was very much like it's a kind of like that would be the that would be the easy way to describe it. And then the, my PhD was going to look at how the arrival of capitalism in Canada has resulted in subjugation and oppression of indigenous people and how that continues to play out today 
so that these communities remain in these very oppressive, um, um, continue to be subjugated and oppressed by the state. Um, gotcha. so yeah, that's that pretty deep my, work. Yeah. Yeah. I was, uh, I was spending a lot of time with my friends, uh, who are first nations and, uh, uh, spending time in those communities and you I think part of that was um, a big wake-up call because I was you know I was invited in which is like an incredible thing that's happened over many years is that even as researchers you have to be wait uh, you have to wait and have them invite you in to become part of the community and be welcomed by the community so that we counter the tendency to do the research on the subjects rather we do research with these people um, and you try to kind of understand and explore whatever it is that you're interested. But in Canada, um, the, these communities, um, the level of addiction is over 70 to 80% of the population is highly um, addicted to some kind of a substance. The level of abuse in these communities is through the roof. Um, and the poverty is just, um, you know, when you step onto the First Nation communities, you feel like you've gone to a different country, like you're not in Canada. Um, right. And at one point, I began to question, like, you know, how me sitting behind my Mac, typing all of this out, like, how is that going to change anything? Yeah. Yeah, and of course totally it does. That happening. Yeah, you know, of course it does. It's through education. We learn so much through academia and through teaching students and challenging. But I guess for me, that meant kind of I lost something. I I stopped believing in it. or And so yeah. um, I... Uh, so moved uh, into yoga? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and but you, it felt very, like, teaching? gradual. I love teaching. I It, it literally feeds my soul. Um I've been teaching since I was 16 in one way or another. You know, I, I, I thought ballet, that's when I started. And then in universities, I thought um, I was a teaching assistant. So I had uh, about 60 students each year um, for five years. And as hard as it is, as challenging as it is, you know, it's exact same when you, when you teach. Uh, it just some, it feeds you. Um, totally. It makes you happy, makes you feel so connected and it makes you, you know, like um, what David was saying too, like that really resonated with what you guys were discussing. Like it makes you feel so helpful, but it comes from yeah. a good place. Yeah. It's like where you become of service and it's like, you yeah. feel like you can give back and yeah. empower students to you know, change their life through the tool of yoga. It's really a beautiful, I mean, what an honor, you know, to teach people yoga. Oh my God. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's like, uh, you feel humbled and grateful all at once. And it almost like, um, I find it like, it's such a, it's, it's so hard. I mean, you know, this, it's like, it's so demanding, like physically it's so demanding on your body. Like my practice oh. is like 10 times harder now that I teach versus, you know, like, do you remember Wait how much easier older. it was to do? Yeah, no, but I, I am, I'm like, uh, I'm going to turn 37 this year. 
Um, okay, well, I mean, I'm about to turn 40. Well, next year you? I'll turn yeah. 40. Next year, and, 40? You know, like the age be- between uh, 35 and 39, which I am right now, there, it's, been a, it's been a serious challenge. So, yeah. and, and some of the guys told me it was coming. It, they're like, oh, yeah, it's like you're going to start to feel this. And I was like, okay. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, like people like David and, and one, a couple of the other teachers at Columbus like you're gonna start feeling this and i was like oh yeah like i feel pretty good and then all of a sudden mm-hmm. like it, it, it was like going off the you're side like, nope. of the cliff. <laughs> like all right i'm tired like and also three kids really throws you oh off my god yes you know i keep blaming it on like our crazy well prior to all of this like our crazy travel and and i mean you travel just as much as we do and i just kept saying uh-huh. i was like oh, it's like the planes it's all the flying but maybe it's not maybe like i'm on two like in the midst of this like big <laughs> we're getting <laughs> old like, <laughs> yeah so maybe who knows yeah. but uh that's but that's I, awesome so let me yeah. let me talk to you a little bit about like practice and, and teaching and like so i mean why do you show up at your mat today you know, after uh, from 18 to 30, what did you just say? 37? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm 36, 37 end of this year. Yeah. Um, like, I mean, has it changed? Like why you show up at the top of your mat? I mean, are you still inspired today? Like what's your big why that you, that you show up um, or what makes you show up? You know, you know, when you tap into that quiet, like, and and you practice and, and your mind's going crazy, your hamstrings are tight, your back's hurting. And then all of a sudden, like, it just goes quiet. Like, you know, and it could be just for like a fraction of a second, but it just goes quiet and it's still, and it's like, everything's fine. Like nothing's fine. Like if you like, th- there's lists to do and things to do and the body's hurting and, and, but this moment of like total, I'm okay. It's that. It's that what I constantly like go after and what I try to connect with like each day. Um, it's that that keeps me coming back. And you know, when you don't show up on the mat, then you realize like uh, you miss it. It's it's that simple. Like you you just miss that. And it's not because it's easy, but it's because it just makes you feel I don't like to use words like right or good because it doesn't necessarily imply that the practice was right or good or easy, but it just makes you feel like at peace with whatever it is that's happening at the moment. It's that that I keep kind of seeking day after day. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about how the yoga has helped you with the eating disorders that you mentioned earlier. Yeah, I was, um, I had a, eating disorder and I was bulimic and that was, uh, you know, like, uh, eating disorders are, are so much about control and this is how you maintain the control. And in any, I think in ballet, like a lot of people have experiences with it, but I also know that a lot of people don't have uh, problems with eating disorder. So it becomes very much, um, individualized and it's up to you as a person Um, and so I remember, you know, I would like restrict my, my food and I would eat like an apple a day and have three coffees and then an apple at night. 
and all of meanwhile trying to hide this from my parents and then eventually somehow that that uh and I would do that for like two weeks and then kind of like have a spell where I was so dizzy and have like one of my parents catch me in their arms as I started falling and then it developed into bulimia which lasted for a year which is basically you know you 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 binge eat and then you go and you purge and you you throw up and I did this for about a year and no one no one knew like no one knew my mom just found out about it like a few days ago I I uh, opened up about it and my sister I told her a while back but um one day I vomited so much blood Taylor like it was it was it was like a massacre and I scared myself Mm. so badly that I managed to quit cold Turkey, which is basically almost, I don't, I don't know anyone else that has had this problem. And I, and I now as an adult, I keep thinking, I was like, well, there was so much like strength in me to be able to do that. And I think in my practice, I keep coming back and finding that like inner strength, there's something so strong, deep, inside of me somewhere and I just have to like dig it out and so the practice the very first thing that practice has done for me it's changed my attitude towards my body where now I I really appreciate my body I love my body now and and I couldn't have said this like 10 years ago I wouldn't have said that there were so many insecurities Um, and now I'm grateful that this body carries me for the fact that I am aging and yet I still keep doing all this crazy stuff like with my body and it keeps serving me this way and it doesn't give up. Like it's a really interesting relationship. Um, and I am perhaps stronger now than I ever was uh, before. And so it's really, the practice has really changed my relationship where I see my body not as like a something that I use to perform and impress, but as something that I deeply love and value. And that is um, like my vehicle through this life. um, If that makes sense. Totally makes Um, sense. That's beautiful. Yeah. It's been a big shift and it's ongoing, right? Like we all, I think we all in some ways struggle and get upset with ourselves and our body. But um, overall, it's been a slow and steady climb towards better. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing that. I think that was important for people to hear. Yeah. Thanks for asking or digging it out of me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you said you didn't talk about it too much. I I let it go for a little bit. Then I was like, I have to ask her because it, as soon no, as you I'm say you totally, don't want to talk yeah. about some, or that you haven't talked about it much, then I'm like, that's something like, that we need to talk about. I mean, yeah, it's part like of that. Uh, yeah. I mean, because that's the, that's what the yoga helps us with. Um, and so it's really beautiful to you know, see people transform or hear their stories of how they transform. It's, you know, yeah. The, the stories of healing, right. Through the practice. Totally. And I mean, you exemplify yeah. that in the, so many ways and the the community that you've created around that um, where, you know, you can see, I think it's really important to be okay with your past and not feel shameful or guilty or um, point blame towards what's happened before and for the things you've done before. 
and 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 learn to compassionately accept that like really accept it and and see it with with some kind of love and then move past it too you know let it let it be in your past it doesn't need yeah. to inform you um, or limit you in any way where you are today yeah that's awesome Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I want to thank you for being on the show. Um, oh, my and pleasure. I want to thank you for, you know, being the inspiration for a lot of the women at, at our studio, like I said before. Um, and, you know, I, I, I think it was great that you got to share a little bit of your story. And, and I mean, some of that stuff blew me away. So I appreciate you sharing it and, you know, your insights and, you know, thank you for being on the Heartbreak Kids. Oh my God, it's been really nice. And I'm, again, really grateful for the kind words and grateful that you've invited me and uh, shared this time with me and asked some really good questions, actually. Got me thinking. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, thank you so much. Hey, guys, thanks for tuning in. If you want more information about Ashtanga Yoga, visit ashtangayogacolumbus.com. You can also check out my website, which is taylorhuntyoga.com. See you guys next time. <laughs>